Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. Mike Weatherford and Danny Sennard. I was trying to think of a fun, catchy way to do this podcast, like some grand way to open things up. I don't think we really need to do that for this one. Louisville beat Virginia in men's basketball. Something that has not been said in, what, five years since Mango Matthews jump shot. Uh, it was a super, super bizarre game for a billion reasons that we're going to talk about throughout the course of today's pod. But before we get into all that good stuff, I'm going to say hello and welcome back to my buddy Dan. Uh, Dan, I know that you, first of all, we had a lot of people after the game was over hitting me up and being like, emergency pod, you got to do the emergency pod. You did it after the Duke game. It was a whole lot of fun. And I was like, I don't know if you guys listened to the episode two games ago, but Danny is already pissed drunk with his brother getting ready to go to the Avalanche Blue Jackets game in Columbus. So he's in a poor state. So I guess we'll start with this. First of all, I'm assuming you enjoyed that game and you enjoyed your Saturday night. How terrible was your Sunday? Um, it started with my wife walking in as I like slept through the kids getting up and she immediately said, get ready this afternoon. We're going to the science center with the kids. And <laughs> that's not how you want to start your Sunday when you kind of get blurry towards the end of the night. But, um, I did, as soon as I realized I was going to the science center, I remember that the cards did beat Virginia and that brought a huge smile to my face. So what a great day. God, that was awesome. I mean, just, it feels so weird just cause it hasn't happened in so long, but it's a great feeling. On a scale of like one to solo dad at the zoo, how bad is hungover science center? I was the worst dad out of all the dads there. <laughs> like all the dads were like doing these like activities with their kids and like, like the Columbus Science Center, like is like the Taj Mahal of like it's kind of like Indianapolis and it, it's huge. It's called Cosi and old old Dan was over on the bench like with my daughter just like eating pretzels the entire time. Like my son was running around like a maniac, like doing every activity possible. So yeah, I was uh I was about a two out of ten, but I smiled when I could. I don't give a fuck how electricity works. <laughs> we we sat in on a chemistry show, and I was like, what are we doing here? Like, I was like, at least the lights are going out. This is the only good thing about this. So oh I can just kind of take a, take a snooze here. But, yeah, that's how my Sunday went. That sounds awful. But the reason why it was so bad, or part of the reason why it was so bad, was because Saturday was so fantastic. And the reason why Saturday was so fantastic was again Louisville beats Virginia 80 to 73 and it feels weird to talk about this game in such you know just over the top joyful terms because it was a game that Louisville was favored to win by seven and a half but I think that this is like am I overstating it to say that I think this is the second best win of the season just in terms of like feel good and fan enthusiasm it has to be right oh 100 percent uh and, like, the fans were absolutely juiced up yesterday. You could tell that the yum was rocking, which was awesome. And, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely rank it, you know, obviously behind Duke. Um, but, yeah, for some reason, Virginia just feels like they need to play their best against us every single time. But it was, it was nice to see us rise to the occasion and fight back this time. And real quick, before we get into the details, I like the fact that Chris Mack didn't treat it like a ho-hum, you know, we were supposed to win this game. He really seemed to understand how much this meant to the fan base, and it seemed to mean a lot to him, too, which, you know, on the surface doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he's only coached against Virginia twice, and he lost competitive games last year to a team that went on to win the national championship. Like, there's there's no shame in losing either of the games that he lost last year, so it's 
not like he had this massive chip on his shoulder against Virginia like Rick Pitino did in his last couple of years or like David Padgett did in his one season here. But he still, like, he did the, um, I don't know if you saw the video where he's walking off the court. He did the Max Shimmy a little bit that we saw oh, last yeah. year. That was After nice. That, that looked good. I, yeah, it was back. Uh, the Max Shimmy's back. The cards are back. I, I liked that. He seemed to be, like, after the game, kind of cutting up, like, joyful, happy. Um, I'm on top of the world, Chris Mack. I was glad to see that post-game uh, press conference persona back. Like, he seemed to really embrace the fact that this meant a whole lot to, well, not, not even just the fans, but the guys on his team that have been in the program for a, a long time. Like, Ryan McMahon got here in 1997, and he hasn't had <laughs> one win over Virginia. The poor bastard was about to graduate after his, uh, you know, decade and a half at Louisville without beating Virginia a single time, and now he doesn't have to do that. So I, I like seeing that from Chris you, Mack. But you, know, you know who else it, it meant a lot to? Me and you. Because we're still undefeated on the podcast. And I was like, I wonder if Chris is thinking about this right now. You like, are... I know. I, here's here's the deal. We we need it's we've already talked about it. So like it's not like a no hitter anymore. We we know that we're undefeated, and it's kind of reached the point like where maybe it's around like the sixth inning with two outs, and there's uh like we like it's been a perfect game so far, and it's like a three zero count, and like you know everyone kind of knows what's going on. They don't really say much, and then all of a sudden the he comes back and somehow fights back in the count and gets like a ground ball to second base and the announcer's like you might want to tune in here folks we got <laughs> nine outs to go like that's kind of where i feel like we're at right now so yeah it's a nice uh wave to ride can i just say in those situations i love the the grizzled like angry at life old man sports rider who goes out of his way to mention that it's a no hitter because there's there's one with every team in major league baseball who's like Homer Bailey going to the eight, still no <laughs> yeah. hits for the Nationals, and like in all caps, like emphasizing it just to piss off everybody who reads him. Like I, I love that. And if you could jinx this thing, it would have been jinxed a billion times before because every single time we're in a close game, I get like 15 tweets from people who are like really worried about the undefeated pod. Like we're the people who talk about it the least. I always forget to mention it, and I'm so glad that you brought it up because yeah, since this uh, since the Card Chronicle podcast launched. Louisville is 10 and 0. We launched it right before the first game of this winning streak, and we're still rocking. Um, and somebody else mentioned after the game, they said the Cardinal Snow Globe that has brought us so much luck over the years. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, my apologies, but I have a snow globe. We bring it up during the winter. I say we, I, I do it. My wife hates it. She thinks it's the it's like the worst thing in the entire world. But it's brought us luck two Januarys in a row. I brought it downstairs after the, the Florida State game. I brought it out for the Florida State game. We got our asses kicked. I immediately took it downstairs, and it actually sits right in front of me in the area in my basement where I do the podcast. So I feel like we've got some – there's a whole bunch of magic going on down here. The podcast, the snow globe, it's all re resulted in the cards being you know 10-0 and 0 since we started doing this thing, and it feels good. Yeah, and like the best part is usually a perfect game like involves like, like a – eighth or ninth inning like 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 a Dwayne wise white Sox like jump over the wall dramatic catch to save the mark burley perfect game which means like we probably have a buzzer beater in store like coming down the line to like save the undefeated streak so i'm looking forward to whenever that is i also i, I like the fact because the first game that we did this for i think was the overtime win over Pitt. so it's one of those and then we had the notre dame close call right after that so it's one of those deals where the announcers are looking back and they're like, that diving play by Mark Lemke in the first, it didn't seem like a big deal. <laughs> All of a sudden, is a Tom Glavin going into the eighth inning now with the uh, with the perfect game. I should have said oh. Steve Avery. 
Yeah, um, we're we're dating ourselves here. It's okay. Well, the, yeah. the Burley reference was better. It was more fresh than mine. I went mid nineties, but whatever. Um, the weird thing. Well, there again, there were a billion weird things about Saturday's game. How about the overall fact that like Ken Palm projected this final score to be fifty nine forty nine. Bart Torvik said it was going to be the lowest scoring game of the entire weekend out of all the three billion games that were played in college basketball this weekend. Eighty to seventy three. No, Virginia had not given up more than 70 points in a game all season long. They hadn't given up more than 63 in an ACC game. They hadn't scored more than 65 in a game all season long. They were averaging allowing just 50.4 points per game. And the final score, 80 to 73. As, as annoying as it was for us to see Virginia give that type of offensive performance after being just abysmal on offense all season long, Imagine being a Virginia fan. Like the, yeah. the offense that you've been waiting for all season long finally happens. They're hitting everything. Kia Clark literally hasn't made a three since January 11th, and he's four of six from three, and you still lose the game. Like if they had had that offensive performance in any other conference game they've played this season, they win. But because it happened against us, and again, I don't need to feel sorry for Virginia. They just won the national title, but still. I would be a little bit frustrated right now if I'm them and I'm trying to get into the NCAA tournament. So I guess I'll, we'll start off with this. Which surprised you more, Louisville being able to have that type of offensive performance against Virginia's defense, or Virginia, who has, again, just been atrocious on offense all season long, coming out of nowhere and shooting the lights against, out against us inside the Yum Center? I would say us on offense against their defense. We are just, God, we are playing so well on offense. It's, it's, it's just a lot of fun to watch. The guys, I mean... Ryan and Jordan are shooting with such confidence. Like you just feel like every single shot that they throw up is going to go in. First segment, um, Darius. Yeah, God. First segment, Darius. Like he had those. He did the same move both times. He had that little like inside-out dribble at the top of the key, and you know, just create a little space and knocked it down. So that was good to see. You know, we're God. We're. I mean, we're. I could go down the line, like down down the stretch. Steve had a couple huge post moves. Um, Malik hit some big free throws down the stretch. God, uh, I mean, obviously we know what uh, David Johnson did. God, I, I, I gotta call him Dave. It's just so weird calling David just Johnson. Keep, just but, keep doing it. Don't worry. Right. Just keep doing yeah, it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it. My favorite part about this team is they just don't get rattled. Like we could have easily, we had everything going against us. We had Virginia just shooting the lights out. We had history going against us. We've lost nine in a row to him. We have Chris Mack getting an unwarranted tee. And most teams in that situation, um, they probably just fold up and Virginia had all the momentum. And it was just, it was awesome to see that our guys just don't get rattled at all. You know, it was obvious in the second half that Virginia was kind of taking away the, uh, the shooters. And so what do we do? We put the ball in our best playmakers hands, the point guard position, and just let David Johnson go to the basket. And then, you know, it, it's, we just have so many ways to beat you on offense. It's so refreshing to see. It's the exact opposite of where we were a year ago. When you talk about like, I now expect if it's a, if it's a close game or we're behind by a bucket with two or three minutes to go, I'm, I'm at the point now and I, maybe I wasn't there on Saturday, but I, expect to win like I just assume we're going to have a couple of guys make the plays that we need to make um, to get to that point and it's again bringing it back to when we started the podcast it's interesting after the Pitt game and the Notre Dame game you, you and I came on here and a lot of people were really upset it was on the heels of the Florida State loss and people the Kentucky loss was still relatively fresh and everybody was saying 
you know, we're playing down to the level of competition. These games shouldn't even be close. And we kind of looked at it as they're pulling out games that they would have lost a year ago. And while we can be frustrated that they're not blowing these teams out and that they're not looking like the team we know they can be for a full 40 minutes, this experience is going to be beneficial for them down the line, or at least that was the hope. And sure enough, like right away, they pull out a close game in Cameron Indoor against Duke that Chris Mack says afterwards, if we don't win the game in South Bend, if we don't win the game at Pitt, we probably don't win this game. And now all of a sudden, they have confidence in close games. And you get to a point where you're down two to Virginia after being up by as many as 15, by feeling like you were in control the entire time. There's three minutes to go. And you hold that same Virginia team that's been shooting the lights out all afternoon to just one field goal in those last three minutes. And you outscore them. Um, 12 to three down the stretch and you've got a freshman making big plays and everybody's making free throws. And again, it's just, it's such a, a far cry from what killed us down the stretch last year. Like there's no, if Louisville loses a game in the final minutes, it's going to be just because somebody just, just beat them. Somebody made all the plays. It's not going to be because Louisville handed it to them on a platter like they did against Duke, like they did against FSU last year, like they did, like they tried to do against Clemson and like they did so many other times uh, in, in February and then in March. It's just it's refreshing to have that safety net, to feel that level of comfort at this point in the season. With all that being said, when Chris Mack gets teed up and Kia Clark makes the two free throws to put Virginia up 70 to 68, where was your panic level? I mean, I was definitely you know what? I, I was thinking about it at the time. I, like if that was last year, I would have been like, we're losing this game. I immediately would. That would have been like the first thought in my head. Um the only reason I, I did have negative thoughts is just because it was Virginia, and yeah. we've seen that movie so many times, and I was like, here we go again. But I don't know. I, 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 I wasn't as rattled as I thought I would be. Um, and like I said, it, we just it, – we're, I mean, we're going up against Tony Bennett, and yes, they made everything yesterday, but, like, he's – I mean, he's not chopped liver as a coach. Like, the guy, like, everyone's like, oh, my God, like, of course, like, Virginia's, like, shooting the lights out against us. Like, he runs, like, such good offense that, like, they're going to get open shots. Like, they, the, for most of the year, they just haven't knocked him down. They just happened to knock him down yesterday. But, I mean, that's been his calling card. Like, Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, like, the past couple of years, at the end of every shot clock, somehow they're always wide open for a three. And it's not by accident. Like, he runs good offense, and he gets guys open shots. And... Yesterday they were making them, and it, like I said, it it was just so great to see us not fold up and respond the way we did. Going back to the start there, I'm on the exact same wavelength, and I, I didn't totally panic just because of what we've seen from this team down the stretch the last month or so. The only reason why I was a little bit concerned was it's Virginia. Like They're a, a totally different beast, and also because if Virginia had been able to close out that game, I think you worry about it having... I'm not going to say the same effect as last year's loss to Duke, but a similar, how do we bounce back from this? The, you know, does the, the lasting effect make us lose a couple of more games? Does it make us just, do, do we start doubting ourselves when we have a 14-point lead against a good team in the second half moving forward? I started worrying a little bit about all that stuff. But I think, honestly, after David Johnson made the runner to tie the game, all of those thoughts went away, and I just thought we're going to win this game. Like, it, that was one of the biggest shots of the entire season because it wasn't a great possession by us DJ just had the ball up top and, and kind of had to make a play and did. And it was so encouraging to see him do that as a freshman because, I mean, I, I think he's going to be in that position moving forward. Chris Mack trusted him enough to be in the game the last four minutes. It's funny. We had the question from the, a fan on Twitter a week ago saying, 
what lineup are you most comfortable with in the last five minutes of a close game? And the lineup that you picked, I think it was the, the same four that we had on Saturday with Ryan McMahon in place of DJ. That's what we went with down the stretch against um, uh, against Wake Forest when it was close. And then the lineup that we had on, on Saturday was the one that I picked, which was the same four uh, as you had with David Johnson out there. And I think it's just going to be a situational deal. I know Ryan came in at the end and, uh, for the free throws, but when we had to have a bucket, Mac trusts David Johnson at this point enough to not just be on the floor, but to be scoring option one or two. And to see him make that drive was just just phenomenal. And then the free throws were terrific. Um, the defense was was outstanding. I just thought it was such a encouraging final three minutes. And you can say, if you want to say, well, we beat a team we were supposed to beat by seven and a half, we beat them by seven. There's nothing to be overly excited about. I get it, but you can't just gloss over how much this meant to the team. When you see Ryan McMahon tweeting after the game, you know, the curse is over. When you hear Dwayne Sutton talking after the game about how, yeah, they openly discussed the fact that they wanted to end the streak. They wanted to be the team that beat Virginia, and it pissed them off that they'd come so close in recent years and hadn't gotten it done. You realize that this was a little bit different than the records or the stats or any of that stuff would indicate. And also, Virginia's playing pretty well. Like, they're getting to a position where I think that they are clearly the fourth best team in the ACC. I think they're going to make the NCAA tournament. This was a huge deal for them. It meant more to them than it did to us. And for all those reasons, us pulling out the game the, in, in the fashion that we did, I, I think is no small thing. Um, you mentioned the tech. I like normally in that situation, I'm furious at the head coach. I don't know what's going on, but because that ref, and I think his name is Keith Kimball had gotten in Chris Mack's face, which was totally, I mean, just there, there's no excuse for a ref to ever, get in the head coach's face and be as confrontational as Kimball was in that point. I just instantly forgave Mac. Like I, I just didn't, I just assumed that it was this asshole doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. And Mac was right to be upset about the call beforehand. So I was kind of okay with it. Were you, I mean, in the uh, moment, were you upset yeah. with Mac? So here, let me give you my game watch situation. First half I, I, I did watch at home and then we had to go, down to like a bar area so i watched the game on my phone and then as soon as we got in the bar i watched the second half and there was no sound and i literally i mean i'm like sitting there with my brother and we're like trying to figure out what's going on and i'm checking my text i was like oh my god he got teed up so like i i knew you know obviously he must have said something but i didn't really know what the reason was for and i i i went back and watched it and it looked like he was like you said the ref got in his face earlier i guess because he thought Clark was out of bounds over on the sideline there. But, yeah, I mean, Chris, there's nothing that he can do, I feel. I mean, like, there's so many just lunatic coaches on the sidelines. And, like, Chris is pretty reserved. So, uh, to give him a tech in that situation just seems so overblown. I mean, I was I was not mad at Chris at all. I was like, are we really going to call that right now? Um, that, that's kind of the mindset I had. I was – yeah, I mean, I, I just, again – not knowing what was said or not seeing the interaction, just based off of what I had seen earlier and seeing how Mad Mac was at the the no call that had happened before the possession that led to the 68-68 uh, tie on the three, I just assumed that it was the ref being a dick. And judging on what I've heard and judging on Mac's post-game's comments, I, I think it was just the ref being a dick. So I, I'm okay with it. I don't think it was timed out. I don't think it inspired the team. I, I don't think it helped us win the game or anything like that. I, I just think it was a bad break for us and ended up being just two points that went the other way. So I was kind of okay with it. Um, in the spirit of full disclosure, on the last pod, near the end, you brought up the question. You said, if somebody goes crazy for uh, for Virginia, who do you think it's going to be? 
I had actually already written the preview that published the next morning, and I had identified that guy as Thomas Woldentensey. I didn't want to pronounce his name on the podcast. I didn't trust myself enough to do it when I was looking at it, so I said Casey Morsell. Uh, you said Jay Huff. Uh, Thomas Woldentensey was definitely the guy. I mean, he had hit seven threes just a couple of games ago against, I think it was against Wake Forest, um, averaging 5.4 points per game. He looks like Italian Kawhi Leonard. That guy almost single-handedly beat us. And you talk about them running good offense. It was basically, when he was hot, it was just them running him off a billion screens and Kihei Clark dribbling the air out of the ball until he could get an open look. And he was just making the most ridiculous shots I've ever seen. I mean, where does that rank? It was like Jeremy Hazel from Seton Hall yeah. back in like no, 07 so like I was I was afraid going into the pod tonight that I was gonna have to actually say his name and so I was just gonna call him random lefty like that's literally <laughs> I was like we're just gonna call this guy random lefty because Wollen Tangy or well, I can't do it I like it's there's no way I'm gonna get this right so yeah random lefty uh, scattering report likes to dribble to his right for one dribble and and uh, heave it up there but. Yeah, I mean, I guess if there's one thing I, I think that we need to work on the defensive end, uh, maybe need to work on getting through screens. I can't even count how many screens we got caught up. Like, and it wasn't just one guy. I think like there was like four or five different guys that lost random lefty like on a screen. And it was nice to see at the end that Chris put uh, Fresh Kimball on him. And Fresh did an excellent job on him the last couple possessions, which was good to see. Yeah, there was a period of time where I thought Dwayne Sutton was like like going to take somebody's head off to get through these screens. Like they were running him through three, and I thought Dwayne was just going to be like, "I will tackle whoever's in front of me to make sure this dude can't catch and shoot anymore." But Fresh, when they put him on there at the end, he did fantastic. Like, like really, we did a a terrific job on everybody in, in those last possessions. They didn't have an open look. We gave up the one semi-open look to uh, to Diakite in the corner. But at that point in time, like I think you're okay with anybody shooting unless it's a Wold Tensi three or a Kia Clark doing anything because Kia Clark played out of his mind. Both those guys had career highs in that game. Wold Tensi scored uh, 27, Kia Clark scored 23. If there was a disappointing aspect of, of, of Louisville's defense against Virginia, and there were, I mean, I'm not going to just give Virginia all the credit for the way that they played. Louisville was a little bit lax, and like you said, we struggled to fight through the screen sometimes, and they made some shots that they had been missing, but they were still too wide open. But I thought that the most disappointing thing was Early in the game, Kia Clark just kind of blowing right by Darius Perry a few times because that yeah. set the stage for him to to make some outside shots. Because the knock on Kia Clark coming into the game, he'd missed 14 straight threes. He hadn't made one since January 11th, and we were playing all the way up on him. And he's I mean he's five nine and he's quick and he can go right around you if you press up. So that was disappointing to me. And then when he started making outside shots, we had to actually get back up and play on him, and he just kind of lit us up. So. I don't know. Like, I, I thought Darius obviously shot the ball really well early on, but I thought his defense and David Johnson too, when he was trying to guard uh, Kia Clark for short periods of time, Fresh Kimball did a pretty good job, but we just, it was not a great overall defensive game for us, which I guess, yeah. I guess should go without saying. And, and Chris even, I think he threw in zone maybe for like five to six possessions uh-huh. um, just to kind of mix things up and, I think, I, I don't know, I think, I can't remember specifically, I think we did okay in the zone, I think there was a couple possessions they might have scored, but yeah, I mean, that is kind of the one worrisome thing about this team, I feel like there's been a couple games here now where 
on the defensive end. I mean, and we've been really good on defense all year, but it, it seems like we're, you know, whether it's guys that are blown by us or whether we're not getting like crowding a shooter after they're they're absolutely on fire. Um, it's just something that we got to get straightened out. But I, I I think this team has the right mindset to where if, if something happens, they'll, they'll definitely focus on it, like in the practice leading up to the next game and make sure that, you know, at least they're not going to get beat the same way. I did like the fact because. We've been talking about, first of all, Malik Williams, maybe it was just him playing up the end. He looked like he was the healthiest person alive. Like After looking like he was playing on one leg the last two games and us talking about it, out of nowhere, it looks like he was just, just fully fine on Saturday. And he was a warrior down the stretch. But when you look at the numbers beyond the arc, I mean, Virginia, again, they come into the game. They're 348th out of 353 teams in three-point shooting percentage. Uh, 27.2% for the season was what they were shooting. Of course, they go 11 of 22 from downtown. Louisville goes 9 of 22 from downtown. They shoot the ball really well. Both teams shoot over 50% for the game. Where it really came down to, like where Louisville made up for the difference um, for Virginia's outside shooting, offensive rebounds and second-chance points. Louisville gets eight offensive rebounds and 15 second-chance points. Virginia, three offensive rebounds and just four second-chance points. And down the stretch, like you said, when Virginia dedicated itself to taking away the outside shot we just threw it into Stephen Enoch I and mean, if they weren't going to double team him it was like the end of the Kentucky game in regulation where it was an automatic too like he got back to being that type of guy and then Malik Williams having a good game offensively as well and being so good on the boards and on defense I mean couldn't be proud of, of, of our two centers yeah no that that we got such like a nice little rotation going with those two they both just bring like different things to the table, like every single night. And the best part about him is they both can shoot free throws. And yeah, it seems like Malik has been like the guy at the end of games that's been shooting like the crucial free throws and like props to him. He is like, I mean, Mr. One or two Malik, it seems like towards the end of the games, he's stepping up and, and hitting both, you know, both free throws. So do you remember I, real quick, real quick, do you remember in, I think it was, like 2009 or 2010, when Terrence Jennings miraculously went from career 49% free throw shooter to making like 27 out of 29 or something. Malik Williams is doing the same thing right now. He is having a Terrence Jennings-esque resurgence at the free throw line. All of a sudden, I trust him more than just about anybody besides Ryan and Jordan. Yeah, I mean, I I do remember that was the uh, the Murray State year, right? Um, Moorhead. Or Moorhead, God. Yeah, Moorhead, yeah try to forget that year yeah but uh well it was a fun year i try to forget that game but yeah no i mean they're they're playing well i mean there's nothing on the offensive end that we're doing that i'm like unhappy with like jordan was fantastic like not only shooting the ball but like when he had to drive he did um you know dave had a couple just unbelievable passes that that wrap around to malik um the one-handed bounce pass and then he like fired that seed over to, to Sam in the corner, which uh, I really I wanted that three to go in so bad. That but, pass uh, was oh my God. If that shot had gone in. That was uh, porn. That was unbelievable. It was straight basketball porn. Yeah. But I mean it's just nice. We can beat you so many different ways. And like I, I feel like out, out of all U of L teams I've you know we've seen come through, this has got to be up there with the most balanced team offensively at least that I can remember. Which, again, like, the thing about this team is they're flipping so many narratives 
the one about them not being able to complete games or not being tough enough to win close games down the stretch, that's a, a obviously it's a total role reversal from what we saw last year. But even the whole balance, and you don't know who's going to beat you on a given night, and they've got so many different weapons, that's a complete flip from a month ago. After the Florida State game, it was all, they can't win unless Jordan War is scoring 35 points a game. And even if he does score 35 points, sometimes it's not enough because they've got no help around him. And I don't want to... I know that he's become sort of a mythical figure in this city now, but it's not a stretch. It's not over the top to say that everything changed when we got David Johnson fully healthy. And that Duke game, I think is always, if this season does wind up being something really special where we win an ACC title or we win the ACC tournament or we go to a final four or win the national championship, I feel like everybody's going to look back and point at that game and point at the, the game that David Johnson played and said, that's it. Like that. That's the clear turning point. That's when everything changed and when this whole process really started. And I think that they're going to be right. And there's no question about it. He is. Every time I get concerned about a team taking away the outside shot, like Florida State will do when we go down there and playing us just straight physical up man to man, the one reason that you that I'm not overly concerned about it anymore is because we have a freak point guard who not only can beat guys off the bounce but who can make crazy passes over the top of defenders, who can finish yeah. at the rim. Although he did airball that layup by like five feet after that yeah. great move. But he is, I mean, he is just such an elite weapon, especially on this team, which has nothing like him and desperately needed that type of playmaker. Yeah, and the thing that, I, that catches kind of my eye and ear, like, I mean, Louisville fans, I, I think we knew that he was a really good player and then, once we saw like Flash in his first couple games, we're like, whoa, this kid might be really good. And then obviously he had the Duke breakout game. But like the best part about him is like when you listen to announcers that like maybe see him for the first time, like Billis was like, this kid's unbelievable. I think like he definitely caught Billis by surprise. And like as much as I want to shit on Dockage, like I think even Dockage was like, he's a championship level point guard. Um, so I mean, he, he's definitely gaining attention around college basketball and I think the the secret's out that this kid is literally the real deal no for sure and I think you're seeing I mean this was one of the more high profile games that Louisville's played since he started really besides Duke this is the first time it's been a national tv game in a window where Louisville was the the big game and everybody who was watching college basketball from four to six was probably watching our game and I saw a lot of national college hoops writers and some NBA guys who you know want to talk more about potential and draft and all that good stuff, talking about David Johnson. If you want to see, like Rob Doster of NBC Sports, he had a whole thread where he just put a bunch of David Johnson clips together and talked about how he's this guy's super fan now. And it was all the passes and a couple of the finishes. And, I mean, he's definitely a growing presence nationally, and that's only going to continue as Louisville. I mean, if Louisville goes 19-1 and and wins the ACC or something like that, there's going to be more and more attention paid to this team. And when more people... Uh, put their eyeballs on Louisville games, regardless of who they're playing. I think David Johnson is going to be more and more a guy that people talk about as not just the type of player who can carry you to a national title or help you win a national title, but the type of guy who's going to be playing professionally and going to be paid handsomely to do so at some point. Um, He's been so good. And every game he makes some play that you're like, man, when's the last time we had a guy who can do that? What did you think about, speaking of Dockage, the Cassius Winston comparison that he threw out there? Yeah, I mean... I was like, 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 I don't know. Like, I I don't really see the similarities, but with that being said, like I had, like, I know you said Shea Gillis Alexander is a, um, you know, a, a comp. I still haven't thought of one. Like I, he's like a hard one to pin down. And like, 
I think about it often. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's just a, he's a unique talent and I'm, you know, just going to enjoy him while he's here. My God, I like I, it's so hard. Not like you said, we talked about this couple of podcasts, but seeing him throw like that pass to Sam in the corner, I'm like, how many times are we going to see this next year? Like Andy had like the one one handed bounce pass to Sam as he was slashing in for the dunk. I was like, this is just going to be great for I mean, next year. It's going to be incredible. No, no question about it. Um, real quick, I, I thought it was interesting. We talked about how, I mean, I don't think it's really set in how outrageous this final score was based off of what these two teams do and what Virginia's season has been like. 80 to 73, I mean, it, it may as well be like two high-scoring teams score like, having a, a 55-48 game. And to, to really reinforce just how ridiculous the stats were, I mean, we're in, in we're nearing mid-February, and at this point in the season, you've got about three-fourths of the data. So Ken Palm numbers they don't change that dramatically. If you have if you score, you know, 20 points more than you usually do against a team that's pretty good defensively, maybe you rise two or three spots in offensive efficiency. But look at Virginia's offense after Saturday went from number 274 in the country to number 228. That's an outrageous jump. Louisville's yeah. offense went from number 15 to number eight. It jumped seven spots. The, the flip side of that is the defense went from number 18 all the way down to number 31. And Ryan McMahon was talking last week about how they've had a team goal all season long about being a top 20 defense on Ken Palm. That may be tough to do. But, I mean, just we can't have a normal game against these guys, can we? No. Yeah. And, yeah, that, that defensive number, like, I know it's just a number, but it, it – we know the trend is like the successful teams are usually in top 20 in offensive and defensive defensive efficiency. So hopefully, I, I feel like that's going to be, I mean, obviously, I don't, I'm not at practice. I don't know what Chris does, but I have a feeling that defense is going to be the emphasis going into this Georgia Tech game on Wednesday to kind of straighten out kind of what's happened uh, um, a couple of the last games. I feel like, I feel like their performance on offense was more – I hate to use the word fluky, but fl- flukier than ours. Like, I, I, all the Virginia fans that were in my mentions after the game, they were like, we'll see you in Charlottesville. Like, congrats on your one win and all this stuff. I'm not nervous about the game in Charlottesville at all. I, I'm sure that they're going to be playing well. But if we play like that again, if we play 75% of that, I think we beat Virginia. Like, I, I think Virginia is going to – they're playing better now than they were, and this game is going to help them take a step in the right direction because they got some guys some confidence on offense. But I don't think this is going to be a situation where – Virginia shooting 50% or better from the field more times than not for the rest of the season. I think their offensive numbers are going to be more like what we've seen for the first 20 or whatever games they've played than they were on Saturday. And with Louisville, I think that's kind of who we are on offense. To do it against Virginia is a different animal, but it's not shocking to see us go 9 of 22 from 3. It's not shocking to see our big men come alive and score when they get the ball in one-on-one situations in the post. We're just, like, we are that good of an offensive team. So I think, like, to me... I'm not – I think we've gotten over the mental hurdle, and I think we're just a better team than UVA. And I think if we go down there in the, the last game of the regular season and play a somewhat normal game, we should win again just because we're better than they are. And I would love to play them in the ACC tournament because I think we'd beat them again there. Yeah. And it would, like, not shock me, like, after, like, having this 80-73 game. Like, and, of course, like, we are very efficient on offense. But, like, it would not shock me if, like, we go to Charlottesville and it's, like, a 51-43 to game. It's like, oh, this is, you know, this is what we were expecting, like, the first game. 
Um, it'd be more. But, it, it'd be more. I think understandable than if it's another game like the one we saw on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm I'm probably not as confident as you. It's not that I don't have confidence in our guys, but I just think, and I know you know Virginia's not had the year that you know they probably thought they would, but. Tony Bennett is such a good coach, and I, I just think it's it was a matter of time before they kind of figured out and kind of get in the flow of things. And I mean, they're not going to do what they did yesterday. Obviously, I mean that was just ridiculous. Random lefty was just everywhere, and Clark <laughs> Clark was hitting everything. But uh, yeah, I just think that I, I think they'll figure it out here, and I'm expecting like a absolute war when we go to Charlottesville, and I think their fans will. I mean, they'll they'll definitely be out for that one. I think it's their senior night too, which is like going to be an at, incredible atmosphere. So that'll be a fun game. It will. Hey, one last thing, I think that it. A lot of people noted that they this team has won six straight games in the KFC Yum Center, and they you know they beat Oregon here in the Sweet 16 last year, and they played that incredible game against Purdue here uh, last year in the Elite Eight. I think stuff like that does matter. I, I think that you have, when you have an air of familiarity inside of a building, even if you weren't on the team last year, like Thomas Woldentensi was not a Virginia Cavalier last year. Um, he's from Italy. He went to a junior college. He's actually from the same city in Italy that, um, that, that Davide Moretti, who played pretty well against us for Texas Tech earlier this year is from. So we need to not play guys from Bologna, Italy anymore. And it's not racist, by the way, that it's the literal name of the city. It's Bologna, Italy. Uh, you, you can't, I'm not just making stuff up, but I think that if you, if you've played in that building before, like Kia Clark had, like Mamadi Diakite had, like Braxton Key had, like Jay Huff had, and you have a level of confidence, I think that stuff does rub off on everybody around you. And, and I think that it was a factor in Saturday's game. Maybe I'm, I'm overblowing that, but I think that it is a thing. Like Louisville, for remember when we could win inside the Peterson Event Center when Pitt was actually good and nobody else could? I, I think that that was a thing. Like I, I think that you had guys that would go up there, they'd shoot the lights out in that building, they'd beat a good team and make the fans shut up, and then they'd come back the next year and they'd have more confidence. And then the, the players who hadn't been on the team a year before would feel that confidence and it would rub off on them. I think stuff like that does exist in college basketball and really just in sports in general. So to beat them, I, I, again... I think this was a huge victory because Virginia played out of its mind. It has the pedigree of a champion. We had the mental block of losing nine straight to them. There was nothing about Saturday's game outside of a couple of defensive lapses that I didn't just love. I think, like, my confidence is sky high with this team. We, I'm sure, Again, I'm fully expecting to lose at least one more game before the end of the regular season, but I think that that's just going to be kind of a everybody-has-a-bad-game type deal. Like, this, we are – there's not a team in the country that I'm afraid of right now. I'll put it that way. Yeah, no, me neither. I was I was talking with my brother yesterday, and he was like, "Which teams like do you not want to see in the tournament?" I was like, "I will take on anyone. I think we legitimately, if we play our game, we can beat anybody in the country." You know, and we're just in such a good rhythm right now. It's there, and the my favorite part about this team is it's fun to watch. Like you can tell, like the guys are having fun. Um, it's, it's, it's a fun style to play on the offensive end, um, especially, and yeah, I mean, this is pessimistic me. I feel like Wednesday is an ideal trap game, by the way. Oh, a hundred percent is a big emotional win, like get the monkey off our back with Virginia and we're playing a team that we already beat at home. And I know it's Georgia tech, but I, I hope, you know, we, we've kind of 
did our celebrating and, and we're kind of focusing on Wednesday now. As I was like legit, as I was going on that rant about how we're, we're the greatest team in the history of the world, and I'm so confident in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm gonna say all this and we're gonna lose to Georgia Tech 58 to 51 or something on Wednesday. Like, I'm, I'm now fully expecting that game to be a battle because it was a battle here and they're like, they're doing exactly what we said they were they were going to do they're beating all the bubble teams in the ACC and looking good doing it they've got a good roster you know they just have an eighth grade version as a head coach I'm sorry that's just that's you're not going to be a great team when that's the case sorry Josh I love you um (laughs) one last person who deserves credit that I need to talk about and I actually made a note to talk about so this is a true story when my wife and I were discussing what we wanted to name our child we didn't find out what the sex was until we we actually had her but I said, if it's a girl, I want to name her Virginia. Um, it's my mom's name. It's my wife is Mary Virginia. It was my grandmother's my name. It was my great grandmother's name. It's, been, it's a name that's been in our family forever. And I openly said, this is going to be what reverses our curse against these guys. I, and I said it. I said it when we were talking about the name when we decided it to be Virginia. I said it when we had her. I made a, a joke tweet about it uh, that day that people latched onto. We have now beaten Virginia in football in a year where they won the Coastal Division and were pretty damn good. Um, we beat them, I think, in everything else that we played them in fall sports. We've now beaten them in men's basketball for the first time in 10 tries. Um, my daughter, Virginia Rutherford, reversed the curse. Like, she's the key to this whole thing. Shout out to her. Not, not only is Virginia adorable, she's a goddamn winner. This a goddamn winner. She's a winner. God, it's just breeding greatness from the start. I love it. But, yeah, shout out to Virginia. I'm uh, – my, you know, obviously beautiful name, beautiful child, beautiful everything. Look at you. Thank you, Dan. Uh, but we take a couple questions. I asked for Twitter questions last week and we didn't get to all of them. Um, we've had a bunch of questions for people wanting to give an update on Jay Scrub, who obviously is a, a huge part of Louisville's team for next season. If he does come here, like people asking for, is there a Jay Scrub update? Is there a Jay Scrub comparison? I don't know if you saw the quotes. He talked with uh, with Jody Demling of Cardinal Authority last week, and he says he's 50-50 at the moment. He, he, he did the whole deal where it was, I'm close with all the guys on the team. I watch Louisville play. I'm obviously a Louisville fan. I like to think about how I'm going to fit in there. We're going to weigh all of our options when the season's over. We can only control what we can control. I feel like a guy who's in that position, who has that decision to make in two months, saying that right now he's 50-50, means that he's more like 70-30 leaning don't, towards leaving. Don't you do it. Don't you. Might, don't. Just don't even say that. I don't even want to hear it. I have a grotto in my basement of candles with Jay Scrub pictures everywhere. And every time one of his highlight dunks comes across Twitter, I go downstairs and I light a candle. And I'm just literally praying for this guy to show up. Like, we need this guy. He'll be the most elect- He's He'll be an electric factory at UofL. The general rule of thumb is that if a kid is talking about making a leap to any level, doing something, if he's talking about potentially reclassifying, if he's talking about potentially you know, leaving early for the NBA, he's almost always going to do it. And I've, I've tried to keep telling myself the fact that Jay Scrub and his dad, don't, don't underestimate that part of it, the fact that he and his dad have both been talking since the summer about potentially becoming the first Juco player in 16 years to go pro, it leads me to believe that they want it to happen. And it, again, it's a weak draft this year. It's going to be a better draft next year. I think all that comes into play. If you're asking me to put a number on it, I'm putting it right there. I think it's 70 that he goes to the NBA, 30 that he comes here and plays for Louisville. I, I wish I could say otherwise, but that's where I am right now. Those quotes. If, if, if we could get Chris Mack to get Mike Zabo on staff, 
So Zabos coaching Jay Scrub and David Johnson again. Do you think that would put it over the top? Because I'll make a call if I have to. I'll do anything. You were, for those aware, unaware, Danny was the, I think, the, what, seventh man, eighth man on a Trinity team that went, uh, like, 18 and 14. Really set the stage. We had a, we had a couple of nice wins. Really really set the stage for David Johnson and Ray Spalding and Jay Scrub to, uh, to come in. If Mike Zabo got on staff, and shout out to Mike Zabo, we love you. You're doing a great job for, uh, for Louisville basketball. I mean, could you parlay that into being, like, his World Wide West? Could you be... The you know, the the Leon you, could you be the World Wide West to his Leon Rice? <laughs> I think Coach Sabo knows a hundred percent not to put me in that situation. I would be the last guy he would ever <laughs> hire to be a World Wide West. I think Coach knows that, but yeah, uh, Coach rules. Hope he's doing well. Uh, I haven't really kept up on training this year. I think they're kind of rebuilding this year. But yeah, uh, Coach Sabo. Oh wait, I said Leon Rice. I meant Leon Rose. Leon Rice, head coach at Boise State. Love you too, but. I would just love to see like you sitting behind the bench out of nowhere and be like, "Is that is that fuck is that fucking Dan? Is 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 Dan sitting behind Louisville's? Is he giving Zabo advice right now? What's happening?" Yeah, I'm I'm like monitoring all like the players out of the club at like 2 a.m. Like none good happens after two. Get out of here. You're like the remember the World Wide West at the Malice of the Palace where he's like shielding Reggie Miller from all the drinks being thrown. That's you with like Keith Otto, the walk on for no reason, <laughs> just like just all to go. He's like, get away from me. It's fine. Like the the fans are are not upset at all. Yeah, that's I could totally see me in that position, hundred uh, percent. Dwayne Edwards on Twitter says, "How much would you pay for Gus Johnson to narrate one day of your life?" Uh, God, yeah, Gus. He's uh, is I mean. Him not being part of March Madness is just such a buzzkill. Like, God, it's uh, he's he's so good at college basketball, and it's just it's so disappointing when I know that he's not going to be on the call in March. But I love Gus. Yeah, I, I don't know how much I'd pay, but I would be very excited if he if he were to uh, narrate a day in my life. His call of the the Kamar Baldwin game winning three for Butler the other night. It just it made me miss him even more when he yeah. called that. He was with Raftery too, and Raftery does yeah. the games for the tournament. It just made me think it's just not fair. Like he should be like, doing it, for a long time. As bad as like all the conference breakups were like a couple years ago, the announced team breakups were, were like like when it was like Billis and Raftery and McDonough, like they were unbelievable. Like, oh God. Gus Johnson leaving CBS. Like I'm like, can't we go back to the old days, like the old announcing days? I don't know if you remember this, or even if you, I, I, I know that you were aware of it at one time in our lives, but back in the day, like I think 07, 08, I bought a Gus Johnson ringtone for my phone. It was like, uh, no, I remember it. Yeah. It was like, it was, it's just March Matt. Uh, like I forget what it was. It but. was a personalized one. He had, he had them for every team, which I don't know how this was legal in NCAA because he was calling a game winning shot by Edgar Sosa in the ringtone when Edgar Sosa was still very much an active Louisville player, but it always started off with like, it was like the horn sound. It's like, Gus Johnson here, and it's game time. Louisville, <laughs> down by two. And it was like, Sosa for three at the buzzer. He got it. Louisville beats, wins the game. And so that ringtone, I mean, I can't tell you. You, like, pick up the phone. They're like, your pizza's here, sir. <laughs> Dude. I mean, this was, that was, you know, we were, like, 22, 23 when this was happening. I can't tell you how many mornings. After I had, we had gone out and I had made regrettable decisions, that I would I would wake up, kind of wondering where I was or what was going on, and just hear eh, 
Gus Johnson here, and it's game time, and just be so embarrassed. But that was my that was my ringtone. That was as close as I got to having Gus Johnson call any part of my life. I miss him every day, every damn day. <laughs> you're like waiting for like that one a.m. phone call for like once you're home from the bars. You're like, come on, Gus, just say something. I need this right now. <laughs> Talk to me, Gus. Please, God, say something, anything. Um, all right, we got more questions. We don't have time. We've already run a little bit long here. Um, before we get out of here. We always like to end with a quick little Dan in the Dump story, something bad that's happened to you in your life. Um, people actually responded to the uh, thinking you were momentarily cross-eyed story from that I shit on last episode. People actually liked it a little bit more than I did. Do you have a, a Dan in the Dump story for this week? It's a quick one. I went to the Blue Jackets game last night. They lost. I've been to two home games since, I think, December 15th. And it's the only two home games that they've lost in two months. So, yeah, although, like, it's, like, basically uh, the summer of George Costanza here on the Louisville podcast where, like, the opposite is happening and we're winning, it's same old day in the dumps for all other sports. I'm, I'm still shitting on all the other teams. I love it. Well, I, yeah. I, I literally said to you when you said that the Jackets lost the Avalanche, go Avs, by the way. Have you ever been to a Jackets game where they won? Because every time we talk to you, you're like, I'm pretty drunk at this, uh, this Jackets game, pretty hungover from the Jackets game. And every time you're telling the story, they've just got their ass kicked. So I'm glad you actually pointed that out. Well done. Yeah, whatever. Uh, They're all right. <laughs> we, we encouraged you to go. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the Card Chronicle podcast. If you give us a five-star rating and you write a review, it really, really helps us out. And to try to encourage you guys to do that, we like to read some of the reviews right at the end of the show. Um, Al City is horrible, is the name of the person writing this review. Agree. Shout to Al City. He says, this is big time Tommy approved. Every episode is a hell of a time, and the podcast is undefeated. Those are facts. Uh, facts only. Zbar14 says, this is the best low-rent podcast on the internet. America eagerly awaits the upcoming split-screen version of the Card Chronicle pa uh, podcast with Mike and Dumpster Dan. And then Anthony S 85 I told you this. The subject, uh, subject of his comment is best Dan in the dump story. He says, always a great listen. A reached on cross-eyed Dan turned into the most epic Dan of the dump so far on the pod. Disappointed Dan's dad about his son's voice was also fantastic. <laughs> Cheers to perking up, Dan. Do you have a reaction to that? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I got a positive reaction because after I told that story, I literally had like anxiety when I went to sleep that night. I was like, <laughs> why did I tell this story? This is so stupid. I was like, this is so dumb, but I'm glad some of you guys were entertained. Oh God. Uh, all right. Well, we'll end on that note. Uh, go cards. Keep celebrating the win over Virginia. We'll be back a little bit later this week. And Tony Bennett, if you're listening to this, nice game, pretty boy. We'll see you guys soon. <laughs> go cards.